Hello, you're listening to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the content manager here at Patientworthy. Today, I'm very happy to say we're going to be meeting one of our partner organizations, the Myrovolitis Trust, a charity founded in 2007 in the UK that promotes rare disorder research, helps advance public education in genetics, and pursues new technologies for unmet clinical needs. And to help in our discussion today, I'm happy to say we have two very special guests. Anna Webb completed a PhD at the MRC Human Genetics Unit in Edinburgh, as well as postdoctoral research at University College London, and she serves as the director of the Myrovolitis Trust. And Katie Nightingale completed her PhD at the Roslyn Institute in Edinburgh and postdoctoral work at the University of Cambridge, and she serves as a charity officer for the organization. Anna, Katie, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having us. Hi, Colby. Thank you so much for having us on the show. Of course. We're very happy you could take the time to come on today. To start with, would each of you mind sharing a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved in rare disease research? Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one, this. I think I've had what people nowadays call a portfolio career. So I always had a passion for science, and that took me from my degree to my master's to my PhD, where I studied the childhood kidney cancer, Wilms tumour. During that time, I got slightly obsessed by a family of genes called Wnt genes. And then I went on to do postdoctoral research in neuroscience, looking at these genes. The one thing about science is sometimes you get so specialised that your world gets smaller and smaller. And I, I found that happening with me. So I really wanted to broaden my horizons. And I did that by entering the field of scientific publishing. Where I was working to establish new journals in areas as diverse as biofuels and machine learning, you know, things I knew nothing about before. And so I got that kind of experience communicating science with scientists and I wanted to broaden further. I then went on to run an educational events company, which put together one day conferences for high school students, where we got the brightest minds and biggest scientists to inspire them. And we had around 40,000 students join us each year. It was a really broad experience. And then when the opportunity came about to lead the Myrophilitis Trust, I just couldn't resist. It was the chance to use my scientific knowledge, publishing, editorial, advocacy skills for a truly exciting cause. And I have to say, the job hasn't let me down so far. I guess my history is a little bit shorter than Anna's, but it kind of starts and ends the same way. Like you said, I did my PhD in Edinburgh and I did my postdoc work at the University of Cambridge. I was actually a virologist by training and I left virology research during the COVID pandemic. Um, I decided that the academic lifestyle wasn't for me. And although virology was a very kind of hot topic at the moment, I still thought that it was best for me to put my scientific skills to a better use. And so, yeah, when the opportunity came up to be a charity officer at the Myrovolitis Trust, despite not having rare disease specific expertise, I could still put my passion and my excitement for science into a really, really incredible cause. And I joined the trust last May, so almost a year ago now, and I haven't looked back. I'm really excited to be part of the charity and work to raise awareness of rare diseases. Anna, would you mind telling us a little more about the Myrovolitis Trust? The Myrovolitis Trust was established in 2007 as a medical research charity dedicated to rare diseases. So our initial focus and continued focus really was on Berthold-Dubé syndrome, which is a rare genetic disorder. And we'll talk a little more about that later. Our work with BHD syndrome spans support 
advocacy, funding of research and holding events. And myself and the charity officers all have scientific backgrounds. So we've recently expanded our remit to include the rare cancer osteosarcoma, which is a bone cancer. By focusing on one rare genetic disorder and one rare cancer, we're hoping that we can build a blueprint for further expansion as things progress. Our overriding ethos, really, is that we want the same state-of-the-art technologies and breakthroughs to be available to rare disease patients as those with more common disease. And that's where I think we can really drive things forward. As Anna mentioned, one of the conditions that your organization has been focused on since the beginning is a kidney disorder called Bert Hogg Dubé syndrome, also known as BHD syndrome. Katie, would you mind giving us an overview of the condition for listeners who may not be familiar? Sure. So, like Anna said, BHD is a rare inherited condition. It has three main symptoms. So, the first is kind of skin lesions called fibrofolliculomas, and these normally appear on the kind of face and chest. Individuals also can get lung cysts and have collapsed lungs or pneumothoraces. And around one in three individuals will go on to develop kidney cancer. So BHD isn't normally a life-threatening condition if it's managed properly. And this would be through kind of regular kidney scans so that you can identify and treat any kidney cancer as early as possible. However, to get regular kidney scans, you have to know you have BHD. And so diagnosis is really important. And that's one of the missions at the Myovlitis Trust to raise awareness of BHD among healthcare professionals and doctors and fund research into the condition so that we can really understand it at a deeper level. Being first and foremost a research organization, Anna, can you talk about some of the milestones that the Myovlitis Trust has been a part of for this condition? Yeah, so in the early days, not much was known about BHD syndrome at all. The discovery of the gene which, when mutated, causes this disease, folliculin, really changed that landscape. As a trust, we've been involved for many years, funding research and bringing sometimes disparate parties together to move the field forward. But I have to say, the folliculin gene is quite the riddle. We have good evidence that it works through a signaling pathway called the mTOR pathway. And so the thought was that by inhibiting this pathway, Uh, you could provide a therapy for BHD to reverse the symptoms. We funded uh, the first BHD clinical trial on this basis using an inhibitor of this pathway in the form of a cream to see the effect on skin bumps. Unfortunately, this didn't really seem to make much difference. And the truth is that the whole picture is far more complicated than you'd originally think. So our funding really encompasses many different streams of research that will hopefully lead to therapies, looking at many different signaling pathways and the role of folliculin in many different scenarios. We've had a long-standing interest in gene therapy, obviously, because this is a what's called a monogenic disorder. It's one gene that goes wrong, so you could, in theory, replace it. And as the technology has advanced so much in recent years, this is something we plan to make inroads into in the future. All of the work we do is guided by discussions with patients and researchers and clinicians. And we established and we run an annual symposium where many of these collaborations begin. I have to say, I think we're at a point now where the knowledge of what's going on with folliculin has gained so much that we really are on the cusp of developing therapies and moving the field forward for patients. And I understand you also have another milestone that should be launched by the time this recording goes live, and that's the BHD International Registry. Katie, can you tell us a little more about this initiative and why a patient registry is so important for this condition? 
We've partnered with Pulse InfoFrame to launch the BHD Syndrome International Registry. And we're so excited that we're able to do this for patients. Fingers crossed that everything will be launched next week. Patient registries are centralized databases that collect information. And for rare diseases, this is so important because there are so few people with the condition. So our registry will collect information on the diagnosis, symptoms and management of BHD. We have a number of aims and one of the priorities of this is to develop clear diagnostic and management guidelines, which are currently lacking. Because BHD is so rare, we really do need an international coordinated approach to research and the registry will kind of be the first step towards doing this. It also puts patients at the centre of research and allows them to drive forward research into BHD. And in the longer term, when we've got the registry up and running, we'll allow researchers to apply for access to the data to help their research into BHD and really accelerate that research into the development of new treatments or a cure for BHD. Like Anna said, we've done one clinical trial in the past. We're really hoping that we can do more in the future. And again, the registry will allow us to act as a, a database for recruitment into these clinical trials, which can be such a challenge for rat diseases. And one of the other research focuses for your organization is osteosarcoma, which is a type of rare cancer. Anna, can you tell us a little more about that condition? I certainly can. We're very, very excited about this project. So as I mentioned earlier, we recently expanded our remit into osteosarcoma research and supports. Osteosarcoma is a rare cancer affecting the bone. And sadly, it mainly occurs in adolescence when the bone is undergoing the most changes during growth. The treatment regime involves chemotherapy and surgery. And these drugs that are used haven't really changed that much in over 30 years. And consequently, the prospects and the survival rates haven't changed in that time either. Of those whose cancer sadly comes back and spreads, the outlook is quite stark. There are very limited treatment options. And sadly, this five-year survival rate is only 27%. We desperately want to change this. So we spent a lot of time last year talking to researchers, clinicians, other charities and patients to see how we could best use our expertise to help and to fit into this field. And we came up with two areas where we can make a real difference. So firstly, we fund research into osteosarcoma with a very clear clinical focus. So we want to push therapies towards the clinic in a cancer that's quite rare where Sometimes the money and the effort of drug development isn't there. We want to help that happen. And secondly, we'll be launching a website, Osteosarcoma Now, which is for patients and really guides them. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that later. One aspect of this that I'm interested in learning more about is the use of immunotherapies in rare diseases. Anna, can you expand on some of the work you're doing in that area and how it relates to osteosarcoma? So immunotherapy uh, has really come into its own in the last few years. And um, the term immunotherapy is very broad. It's uh, using the immune system to fight cancer. One of the things with osteosarcoma in particular is it's known as uh, an immune cold spot in the fact that the immune cells of the body can't get in to affect change and to fight the cancer cells. What we're doing is we're funding a few streams of research, which are looking at ways to turn those cold spots hot, if that makes sense. So 
So they're then available to the immune system to fight. One project we're funding at the moment is looking at oncolytic viruses in combination with other therapies. So oncolytic viruses are viruses that are adapted to invade cancer cells. And when they do that and they kill the cancer cell, markers from inside the cell are released, which then the immune system picks up on. And the hope is that the immune system then has that memory of those markers and can go and fight the cancer in other areas of the body as well. And another project we're funding, which is very exciting and is due to go to clinical trial at some point soon, is looking at a specialised antibody against a gene a protein called SFRP2. So this is really interesting and it kind of brings me back to my days in science when I was looking at Wnt signaling and Wnt genes, SFRP molecules are involved in that signaling. And it's hoped that these ones will stop angiogenesis, which is highly associated with metastatic cancer. So there are a few immunotherapy projects that we're funding And also we're looking into various different therapy regimes that could be used, we think, probably in combination with chemotherapy or other inhibitors to really help the prognosis in this disease. And as you mentioned earlier, you've actually got another initiative that should be launched by the time this recording goes live. And that's a new website, osteosarcomanow.org. Can you give us some more information about that? So the idea behind osteosarcomanow.org was to provide a place where patients can go to get clear information to signpost them along their cancer journey. Uh, We do that in several ways. So firstly, we blog about scientific research in clear, accessible terms. So patients can understand the research process, can make sense of reports, which are sometimes quite sensationalized in the newspapers. Secondly, we are signposting people to support around the world. All the charities that we come across, we are contacting, we're forming collaborations with them. And there's a world map where people can go to see where they can get support in their country. And thirdly, and this is really the heart of the website, we've got a clinical trials database which is curated for patients. From a lay perspective, from the patient perspective, these are sometimes completely impenetrable. The language used doesn't really help at all. And finding out where you can go for therapies and what is available and what might be worthwhile for you versus what you can't get into is very, very difficult. So we've tried to change that. And we've put all the osteosarcoma clinical trials underway right now and that are planned for the future into this database where people can search. And importantly, we have a summary in very plain language to help people find the right therapies at the right time in the right place worldwide. If somebody wants to learn more or get involved with the myrovitis trust, BHD syndrome, or osteosarcoma, where's the best place for them to do that? Look us up on our website, so for Myrovitis Trust, this is myrovitistrust.org. You can find us on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Myrovitis. Uh, if you're interested in BHD syndrome, you can visit our website, bhdsyndrome.org. You can find us on Facebook or on Twitter at BHD underscore foundation. And our osteosarcoma website will hopefully be up and running next week, and that's osteosarcomanow.org.
just to add to that, it's a very exciting time for us as the trust and we really want to work collaboratively as much as possible. If you would like to work with us, or if you have ideas, or if you just like to discuss what we do, please, please do get in touch with us. You can reach us anytime at contact at myrevelitistrust.org. And we'll also include links in the show notes for this episode for all of this information, including links to the newly launched websites for the BHD International Registry and osteosarcomanow.org. Anna, Katie, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show today and introducing our audience to all of the important work that the Myrovitis Trust is undertaking in the areas of rare disease research and education. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Corby. It's been a real pleasure to be on the show. And remember, you can always keep up with the latest in rare disease news by visiting patientworthy.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for patientworthy on those platforms. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting app. It may seem like a small thing, but a review or rating really does go a long way toward helping us out. Finally, if you have any questions about the podcast or perhaps an idea for a future episode, you can get in touch with me by sending an email to Colby, that's C-O-L-B-Y, at patientworthy.com. That does it for today's episode. Thank you once again to Anna Webb and Katie Nightingale from the Myrovelitis Trust for joining us on the show today. And as always, thank you for listening. <music>